Listeners, welcome back to another episode of Titanic Minute, your daily podcast where we discuss the movie Titanic minute by minute. I'm your co-host Rob, and joined as always by my good friends Joe and Duff. Hello. What is everyone going to do next Monday? I, I don't. I don't know. I know. I know. We'll have free time. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, last week. Continuing its credits, we have guests. Minute one ninety one. Our guest today is none other than Jonathan from Minute Impossible. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, thanks for being on, man. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I was, I, I, I sometimes badger Rob about, I'm like, when, when am I getting on again, man? When am I getting on? Especially since George got to get on again. Well, that's so, true. Because uh, George came in when, uh, Joe, at one point they had uh, another guest, uh, George Lucas, come on. I think yeah, I, I, I haven't listened to it because I'm... He was under the weather. I know. I just, I know. It's like one of those, like, I, I wasn't... I missed it, and I'm so upset. I, yeah. I can't... I don't have the heart to listen to it. How you feeling now, buddy? I'm I'm primed for takes, and I'm primed <laughs> for fights, and that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about today, right, Duff? Speaking, right. Yeah, so speaking of fights, not so much a fight. You guys like feuds? Mm. Do I? Family and otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so... One thing that I'm surprised we didn't bring up uh, yet during the course of this movie is that, uh, believe it or not, uh, James Cameron had himself a little feud with a what? critic. No. I, oh. You mean he took criticism personally? I don't believe it. <laughs> this is... Did someone tell him to cl- turn down his sound? <laughs> <laughs> this is a very classic... Uh, there's a lot of not mad going on here. <laughs> that's so, that's a theme, that's uh, a pattern I noticed in doing research for this episode. They're never mad. No. Yeah. So this all started when uh, L.A. Times film critic Kenneth Turan he wrote a scathing review of Titanic, uh, <laughs> December nineteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, the movie. The title was Titanic Sinks Again. <laughs> Spectacularly. <laughs> You knew, how many how many uh, papers across America had that stupid oh. hack hack uh, title for theirs? They uh, had Titanic it, sinks. They had it written a year in advance, and it's like, yeah, baby. Yeah. So I, I'll just read. In fact, the review itself is it's a pan, but it's not that remarkable in my opinion. There's no mind-bogglingly fresh takes. It's it, it's a fine review. It brings up most of the people who dislike the movie. The points are in here. It's mainly to do with the uh, the writing, the, the, the scripts, the dialogue, uh, and the one part I'll read. He says, "Seeing Titanic almost makes you weep in frustration. <laughs> not not because of the excessive budget, not even because it rec- recalls the unnecessary loss of life in the real 1912 catastrophe." What really brings on the tears is Cameron's insistence that writing this kind of movie is within his abilities. Oh my God! Ouch. Not, not only isn't it, it isn't even close. So it's not, a pretty not wrong. It's a pretty harsh review. Yeah, it, but you know, it. He doesn't really get personal. I mean, he attacks James Cameron, but it's you know, James Cameron is a famous director. He can take it. 
And he goes uh, out of his way to, to to pinpoint one specific thing that he doesn't think the director could do, you know? Yeah. It's not like, yeah. Um, that's a that's a great way to call someone out, though. Instead of saying, you suck, I hate you, that sure. he would never respond to that. But by saying, you, you don't even have the ability to do this. Like, yeah. you, you're not good with a pen. And, you know, <laughs> he just cannot stand that. He would not let that go. <laughs> what a jerk. So... The the our, the review closes. Yet as Cameron sails his lonely craft towards greatness, he should rea- <laughs> he should realize he needs to bring a passenger with him, preferably someone who can write. Uh, so for months, the L.A. Times was having people write to them and kind of ragging on Kenneth Turan. Some people would be in support of him, but it became kind of like a a flame war <laughs> between the people of Los Angeles and I guess America because that's a pretty big paper, so they yeah. probably saw it everywhere. Yeah. Um, Left Coast liberals. Yeah. <laughs> so people got mad at Kenneth Turan, and Turan, uh, I think, kind of egged them on, whatever. So that was that, until James Cameron won like every award under the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, James Cameron apparently winning the vast majority of critics over. He got like the SAG... Uh, awards. He got basically every award. Still, may I, may I offer a prediction? Uh huh. The road he took after this was just as low as the wreck of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so he, Cameron himself, wrote an op-ed to the LA Times. <laughs> That's so complete, pathetic. Complete it really cheer. is. What a dork. <laughs> You've already and, won. You won. Like you won, James Cameron. You your movie do made a billion dollars when movies so, you never could, made. He could a have just dollars. bought the L.A. Times and fired yeah. Kenneth Turan. Yeah. So this is shot him into the moon, and no one would have cared. This is March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety eight. That's the week after the Oscars, I think. So James Cameron riding high on that sweet, sweet Oscar buzz. It's like now I'm gonna get him. Now, uh, so I, I won't. The Cameron one is much more entertaining. I won't read it all, but it starts off. uh, I have shrugged off Kenneth Turan's incessant reign of personal barbs over the last few months, since he is clearly not a big enough man to admit when he was wrong. And it has been amusing to watch him dig himself into a deeper hole each time he tries to justify his misanthropic sensibility with regard to Titanic. Sounds like a guy that's not mad to me. No, not mad. (laughs) He's... He, he feels bad for him, that's all. It's embarrassing for <laughs> Kenneth Turan. Uh, so here's my favorite part of where obviously showing that he is not mad. He says, The script for Titanic is earnest and straightforward wearing its heart on its sleeve. It intentionally incorporates universals of human experience and emotion that are timeless and familiar because they reflect our basional emotional fabric. He says... Turan conveniently ignores the fact that the Writers Guild of America voted Titanic one of the five best original scripts of the year with its nomination for best screenplay written directly for the screen. There is no more critical and discerning body in the world when it comes to screenwriting. But in Turan's private reality, the vast majority of the worldwide audience and the majority of Hollywood screenwriters are wrong and only he is right. It's so, almost like a, uh, like the whole point of criticism is offering up your own opinion, and then other people <laughs> just decide if they're going to listen to you or not. It's weird. Uh, James Cameron sounds like he's describing the guy from Ratatouille. <laughs> right? The last line says, 
forget about Clinton. How do we impeach Kenneth Turan? <laughs> That's awesome. So the great thing is this is when this was in paired with the I'm the king of the world thing at the Oscars. This is when people turned on Cameron. Yes, like, big time. This is when. This yeah, was, how was this received? Was it was he uh, mocked for this? Yes, he was very mocked. Yes. Turan does say, like, according to the James Cameron thing, he quotes him as he's ta- essentially uses Titanic as a reason to insult, like, movies in general, Hollywood films in general, and even goes on to say, quote, how desperate the mainstream audience has become for anything even resembling old-fashioned entertainment. They have, he says, been, quote, deadened by exposure to nonstop trash. So part of the Cameron argument is that, like, Turan just dislikes movies and, right now in general and, and i don't in, think that's an unfair in like, cam yeah in cameron's defense a little bit of the turan review is old man yells at cloud yeah it for sure is um, well I, so as you guys were talking i i started to wonder it must have this probably stretched back before titanic oh so i i i'm i'm reading you know as we record here his review of for true lies and here here's the headline which obviously he, turan didn't write i'm sure the Secret Life of True Lies. Exciting action is undercut by film's meanness. And like the, this, like the intro here, at least, I'm, and I'm skipping past the summary part, but um, he's fairly complimentary. Like he says, as the perfectionist creator of bravura set pieces, Cameron is still the leader of the pack. And yet, and yet, despite all this success, all is not well with True Lies. A strain of crudeness and mean-spirited humiliation, especially toward women, runs through the film like a nasty virus vitiating all it touches most audiences understandably diverted will either not notice or perhaps not even mind but it is disturbing and it shouldn't be ignored yeah i I bet you that's really really it's a very accurate and b i bet it really really bothered james cameron to have someone tell him that that it was mean to women yeah Yeah. the truth cuts the deepest right rob yeah yeah (laughs) come on now so (laughs) so in i think another reason why cameron was so uh, mad there when there's not mad Duff. (laughs) there's an article in, uh, October of 98. It was a profile of James Cameron. I think it was surrounded to, you know, one year later. And so they're quoting James Cameron and you'll love how this starts. He says, I read his review and shrugged it off. Those are the breaks. His face gets stony. (laughs) But what, (laughs) But what bothered me was that somehow he decided to vilify Titanic as an example of everything wrong in Hollywood. Excuse me, but you can't take the one film that has the hair on its balls to go out. (laughs) Come on. And be three hours long. I think of Titanic. And be a mainstream picture that didn't kowtow to every so-called piece of mainstream knowledge of what you have to do to survive. That involved itself in things that every studio exec in town would have run from screaming and say that it's emblematic of everything that's wrong in Hollywood and do it over and over. You can't just effing do that. There's only one, there's one, sorry, there's one newspaper in the city that sits on the breakfast table of everyone I work with. You're attacking me in my house. Wow, he's not mad. Yeah. Though. He's not mad. And, uh, not this mad is, this, is, this ain't your daddy's Titanic. <laughs> I was brave enough to make this movie. Do you know, yeah. what, it re- you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, uh, well, now we're kind of getting into it, uh, you know, what our favorite feuds are. But yeah. I, I just thought of this. It reminds me of when, like, David Cross and Larry the Cable Guy were feuding. <laughs> and, like, Larry the Cable Guy tried to dress it up as, like, oh, you can come after me, but not my fans. It's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. 
I though though I did do a little like where are they now with this. I looked up uh Turan, he did a uh best of two thousand seventeen list, his best films, and I was curious what he had to say. Um he was talking about the worst parts of the year. He had his rankings. He said the worst. Quote As to the worst trend of the year, it would have to be as noted above. Hollywood's continued indifference to the adult audience. If you care about film, there couldn't be anything worse than that. So he's still Tran's still still upset about Hollywood films at twenty twenty years later. I think he's probably talking about like Marvel movies, like yeah, superhero I think stuff. So. But inundation I, of that. But yeah. the thing is, is like I think, like the, it's one of these things. Where like I think Tran's review is fine, and I think I don't even think necessarily James Cameron's letter is incorrect. The thing is, is don't write that. What's wrong with you? You're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, just like rant to your friends about that. Don't pen an op-ed in the L.A. Times. Actually, I, I'm gonna say. On behalf of James Cameron's friends, don't rant to your friends about, <laughs> yeah, about that's criticism. True. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I also I mean, did at, a little... At, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Look how much flack jo- George Lucas has gotten over the prequels. Did he ever write anything to anyone during Just, those or anywhere? Yeah. No. A few, like, true. snipey comments, but not yeah. uh, not about anyone specifically. And by no, the way... He would never he, call out a reviewer. I mean, I'm no. sure people said yeah. that George is lost and he's insane. He, you know, all these crazy things. It, anybody at that level, that billion-dollar level, yeah. you, do, you do not... No. <laughs> do, do, not, not do not engage. Do not escalate. Oh, is, I love it. I there love are it. Warehouse, warehouses full of servers, and all they do is house content against George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like a good chunk of the internet is devoted solely to bashing George Lucas. Half, Funny half enough, all- in the internet age, there are now warehouses full of James Cameron's retorts to other reviewers. Out, he doesn't send out. He's just like, I'm he just gonna write them. this. He he writes them like, what's that <laughs> thing? Uh, journaling that they're taught. Like he probably goes and sees the shrink. The shrink's like, you should journal these things, James. You should yeah. put them in a and never let anyone see them. They're almost horrible. Write it. Don't send it. I mean, you oh. do need practice writing, so. Yeah. <laughs> it honestly, it the fact that this. he did this after winning eleven Oscars or whatever. I know. A week later. A week later. <laughs> it's it's really it reminds me of our current uh, uh, brain rotting president who's, <laughs> who will never be happy no matter what yeah. because he is just a deeply sad, broken person, and. I feel like James Cameron is like that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just, that's... Like, imagine that. Imagine it's like, oh, biggest movie of all time, massive mm-hmm. critical appeal. More awards than anything. More awards movie. than anything. There's still the freaking Kenneth Turan at the LA Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's dive into uh, some of our favorite feuds. I don't think it needs to necessarily be filmmaker or critic, but if you want that. Um, Jonathan, you're our guest here, man. I think, what do you got? What do you got here? The the one I was going to talk about was Iron Man. It's not a feud, but it is a way that um, a director. It was trying to come up with something where a director and a studio clashed, and where this time the director was right, just like James Cameron. So I was trying to find those kind of feuds. That works. Most, yeah, not all yeah. feuds. Yeah, you know, sometimes the feud is you know, going off subject. Like Val Kilmer in Batman was a jerk, so they recast him. That's a feud. Eh. It, is it a feud? It's no. He's just a person that's hard to work with. Sure. So I was trying to come up with something. Unlike James he, Cameron. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was trying to come up with something where, and it was the John. It was John Favreau directing uh, Iron Man, and he wanted to put this movie together, and he wanted to put Robert Downey Jr. in it, and Marvel said no, and 
I didn't know. I was reading some stuff about it. I did not know that John Favreau walked from the movie and was not oh, going to do either. the movie without Robert Downey Jr. doing it. He actually, he, Robert, I mean, John Favreau did not have the clout no. to do that. And he was going to walk away from the movie if Robert Downey Jr., who he thought was perfect for it, wasn't cast. As and they never Stark. worked like they never worked together before. Like it's not like he's like standing for like some guy who's in his movies a lot. Yeah, and, and at that point, Don, Robbie Down Jr. had you know he was clean and sober, but he hadn't literally not been anything, anything really good. Yeah, I'm trying. Done, I mean, uh, Favreau did Elf, but he wasn't a power player. By no, means. no, no. And the and the, and, the, and they were kind of you know going out on a limb with him anyway. So I this was it's a pretty it's a pretty. Uh, it's a pretty happy ending for a. Yeah. It's, it's not one of those movies where it like ruined like you know like Once Upon a Time in the West or, or not Once Upon a Time in America. Excuse me, Once Upon a Time in America. I get my yeah. movies mixed up. The Sergio Leone movie where they literally like the studio just destroyed a four-hour movie and made it into like an hour and a half. And the yeah. magnificent yeah. Ambersons. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, it's one of the worst movies ever made because it's garbage. It's nothing left. But you know, this was one of those ones. I I like a happy ending. You guys are ending. It's a happy podcast usually, <laughs> except when <laughs> Joe's, uh, you know, on a tear. But uh, <laughs> about you know bands and other things. Uh, the <laughs> hot takes. Hot. T- he's he's here for hot takes. Hot takes right? will travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought it was very interesting. I did not know that he had put that much. Uh, that's ballsy, effort. man. That's got that it. puts him. That's what is that quote? What is the James Cameron uh, quote? Hair on your balls. Hair on your balls. <laughs> that is a that is a hairy bald move for uh, yep. d- the director of Elf, <laughs> and and now the direct and now the creator of basically a hundred billion dollar you know, yeah. you know, mega studio. What about will... what about? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, go. On. Uh, Joe, what about you, man? What do you got here? I wanted to go with a, a fresh one. Okay. I'm just enjoying this director. Uh, kind of melting down in real time before our eyes, and that would be uh, David. I don't know if it's David Ayer or David Iyer, uh, yeah. uh, d- director of one of my favorite movie watching experiences when I got to watch Suicide Squad for the first time with Duff, <laughs> and he got to witness me just my jaw dropping farther and farther with each second of that incomprehensible trash. <laughs> <laughs> so you may know his uh, follow up was. <laughs> The Netflix original, Bright. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, David Ehrlich uh, from IndieWire uh, wrote a pretty scathing uh, um, review. Uh, the headline, uh, Netflix's first blockbuster is the worst movie of 2017. <laughs> Max Landis and the director of Suicide Squad team up for a movie that's part training day, Part Lord of the Rings and all miserable. <laughs> <laughs> there's boring, there's bad, and then there's bright. A movie so, pr- <laughs> so movie so profoundly awful that Republicans will probably try to pass it into law over Christmas break. <laughs> From the director of Suicide Squad and the writer of Victor Frankenstein comes a fresh slice of hell that somehow represents new lows for them both. A dull and painfully derivative ordeal that often feels like it was made just to put those earlier misfires into perspective. Uh, and it goes on from there. What was the now? What was the feud? Uh, now you're you're not you're, the director read the review and guess what? He wrote a response. He oh, got no. he he logged on and decided to post. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> has anyone has anyone ever used Twitter successfully when they're mad? <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Well, fortunately, David Ayer was not mad, so okay. it was fine. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. So he got in um, the mentions of Ehrlich. I, I don't believe it was a retweet. I think it's a reply. This is going on my fridge. Highest compliment uh, is a strong reaction either way. This is a effing epic review. It's a big fun movie. You should you can sure string words together, Mister Ehrlich. I'd love to read any script you've written. Oh, oh God. here we go. That old that old retort. Now Ehrlich took the high road and he just wrote, "You're a good man, Mister Ehrlich. I'll be waiting with fresh eyes for whatever comes next." Oh, which high road? Exactly how you deal with someone getting mad at you on Twitter is just to say cheers or whatever yeah. and uh <laughs> i'm gonna read this with the uh, the um typos and all and then he retweeted and uh air and said i really appreciate that every movie is a labor of love for me i've never chased the audience oh god i've never chased the audience and i know my work can be polarizing i've lived a crazy love <laughs> and i think he means life and i guess my movies reflect that I've never chased the audience from the guy who did a DC comic book movie and yeah. then a Will Smith alien cop movie. <laughs> yeah. Didn't he do well, that Will Smith, tank movie Will Smith with Brad DC Pitt? Movie. Yeah, he did the other one. That, uh, Fury? Fury. Is that it? Yeah, Fury. Fury. Although he did do End of Watch, which is very good. Is that more, uh, though, the writing? He, uh, I mean, he wrote and directed it. That's a good movie. He wrote the watch, Training and, Day. End of Watch is very good. I mean, yeah, I haven't Landis seen it. I heard the, it was that, good, though. Bright is not a good story, no matter who's drawing. Uh, Bright is not a good movie. It is better than Suicide Squad, but that is, is an extremely low bar. <laughs> it does. And the end is and terrible. One thing we can definitely agree on is that Max Landis is the is the absolute worst. He is the worst. Just no. a reprehensibly awful human being. Apple he's like five tree. James Camerons put together. And yeah, and he's, and uh, he's the, spawn of, the spawn of Duff's great uh, bugaboo. John Landis, yeah. another yes. reprehensible human uh, being. Son Murder. of a guy who killed two <laughs> underage actors and Vic Morrow because he needed a helicopter crash for that I've... stupid Twilight Zone movie. Right, he's a, he's a perfect, perfect representation of uh, baby boomers, John Landis. <laughs> oh, he's the worst. Who's like, just sort of like faux rebellious mm-hmm. and incredibly selfish. And if you're going to at Tombstone Minute about the fact that he's got you know issues, he might be on the spectrum somewhere. Please do. <laughs> John yes. Landis, who constantly bemoans that Hollywood produces crap and then makes Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Duff, what do you have? Uh, so I went back to a, a, a humorous one. I, originally, I was just going to detail every movie Marlon Brando made. <laughs> that's a good That's a good one. Um, but I feel like that's... Number one, we don't have time for it. And number two, I think that's a podcast in itself. But uh, I, I settled on an amusing one for uh, Guys and Dolls, the musical from 1955. Oh, okay. I know nothing about what uh, you're about to say. I've never I seen the movie. Guys or Dolls. It, <laughs> it stars uh, Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando. And I'll say this is not a fresh take by any means. Brando is horribly miscast because he cannot sing very well. Nope. But this was uh, Brando mania. This was like after on the uh, on the waterfront and uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Brando won the Oscar. So the producers of Guys and Dolls, they're like, "Well, we need Brando. Brando's hot item. We're gonna put it in him. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna put him in this movie." So. Sinatra wanted Brando's role, which was kind of the more suave leading role. Oh, man. And so 
and Sinatra had also briefly been considered for On the Waterfront. Which I wonder if Sinatra got any help behind the scenes trying to make mm-hmm. that happen. Maybe he yeah. had some friends make some phone calls or something, you know? Maybe there's a horse involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... And of course, everyone knows Sinatra is very old school, and Brando was the method acting school. Mm-hmm. So Sinatra, on one occasion, Sinatra was heard to have told dr- director Joe Menkowitz, "When Mumbles is through rehearsing, I'll be ready." <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> That's so good. Uh, That's about and, the only you can only throw shade when you're Frank Sinatra at Marlon yeah. Brando. Yeah, he's the only guy uh, with enough clout. That's true. <laughs> In pre-production, Brando approached Sinatra asking for help with musical numbers. So, see, Brando was uh, the nice guy. He suggested that they get together often and work on the numbers together. Sinatra told him that he didn't go in for that method crap and refused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The singer resented Brando's acting style and what it represented, which was a major departure from the Hollywood glamour he'd known. Sinatra was known throughout his career for refusing to rehearse and hating to do more than a single take. Oh I don't, I don't familiar. buy this. I don't buy this take and retake jazz. He said, Oh man, man uh, he's jazz enough. And <laughs> the modern. key to good acting on screen is spontaneity. And there's something you lose a little with each take. Uh, so Brando uh, deliberately took advantage of this to piss him off. And there was a scene where, uh, Uh, Sinatra had to eat cheesecake while Brando talked and Brando would always do it perfectly in rehearsal and then he would always do the scene perfectly but then flub the last nine and after eight takes Sinatra felt sick from eating cheesecake and then he ran and after the ninth attempt was a fiasco Sinatra threw his plate to the ground jammed his fork in the table and screamed these effing New York actors how much cheesecake do you think I can eat <laughs> That's beautiful. I I have some quick hitters. 1991. Let's take you back there. Uh, Julia Roberts uh, is on the set of Hook, directed oh. by none of those. Oh, Steven, I don't Steven. know about this either. I know about this, yeah. Um, and Julia Roberts was having a rough time personally because she had just called off her engagement to. Well, I love it. Nope. Brad Pitt. Oh, nope. Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, that's right. Oh, little guy. So Lyle Lovett was the rebound. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she was a mess on the set. And she was nicknamed by Spielberg and others simply oh. as Tinker Hell. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aww, that's about Spielberg. as profane as Steven Spielberg can get, probably. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so then later on 60 Minutes, Steven Spielberg was asked, because uh, apparently in 91, this is a big deal. Uh, if he had ever, if he would uh, ever work with Julia Roberts, and he just quietly on sixty minutes said no, <laughs> and that—that's really—that's an epic burn from him. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Steven Spielberg is Mr. Nice Guy. Like, have you ever heard Steven Spielberg talk negatively about anyone? No, that's what's so crazy oh. about this. These are two like beloved people in Hollywood. Oh, that's crazy. Just didn't work out. Tinker Hell. Did they ever like patch it up? I don't think so. They've never made I a movie. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. So uh, this one's for Duff. Uh, this is none other than Sean Young and Oliver Stone. <laughs> two Duff staples. Two very two very stable people. Yes, yeah, so I, went, I went with Julie Roberts and Steve Spielberg to Sean Young and Oliver Stone. This is on the uh, set of Wall Street. Oh. Um, Sean Young, which 
you probably know from Blade Runner, and I'm sure you guys know this, but when I found this out, it blew my mind. She's also Einhorn in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So she was cast as Gordon Gecko's wife, but she (laughs) wanted to have the Daryl Hannah role and kept pleading with Oliver Stone for that role even during the shoot of Wall Street. (laughs) So now... Here's some Oliver Stone quotes. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, he's usually pretty good. He's the he was the James yes. Cameron before James Cameron. Uh, here's he's the, if James Cameron went to Vietnam. Yes. yes, and had a lot of more crazy yeah ideas. Uh, his his quote is quote It got to a place where I said I've had enough. We were at a stable and the horse standing next to Sean was having an erection and she. T- <laughs> Wait, come Wait, on! And she- <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! And no she way. Just, <laughs> and she just wouldn't rehearse correctly, so we let her go. <laughs> so then. Wait, why did he mention the horse? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, because she couldn't do it because she of the. Could concentrate? Yeah. I, I don't. I, I understand that. Hey, Sean, yeah. why the long face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she couldn't, like. And I. Listen, that's fine. I don't blame Sean on that. We've all. all gotten tripped up by a horse with an erection. <laughs> yes. <laughs> horse in the house. Um, so here's this quote. This is so this is so Oliver Stone. Quote, she tried to leave with some of the clothes from the movie. Come on. And we, and we had a very tough producer who got the clothes back. And I heard she was in the streets of East Hampton, furious and walking around half naked. Oh, God. Oliver Stone, bad person. Well, there's a so, plenty of stories about Sean Young doing things that aren't good, too. Yeah, so. stuff. Don't you have a Sean Young story? Uh, famously, she really wanted to be Catwoman, and mm-hmm. uh, much like Wall Street, would not let that go. And she came, I think it was she came to the auditions in front of Tim Burton in a Catwoman outfit she made. Yeah. <laughs> in character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, she, you're not going to get that part a, that way. Uh, in case you're wondering how Sean Young's doing, in 2012, she was arrested for crashing an Oscar party she was not invited to. Oh, no. <laughs> she slapped a security guard. I've got, I've got the best one for us. All right. Okay. Li- like us, she has also been sued by James Woods. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> so she's in a movie with him called The Boost, which I don't recall. And he sued her for harassing him and his fiance at the time. And he said she was just generally disruptive and also left a disfigured doll on his doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) Young denied the allegations and claimed that he filed it out of spite. Here's a quote. And this is from Wikipedia, so it might not be totally right, but whatever. Young stated, it was a crush being turned down. That's all. So sue me. And he did. (laughs) (laughs) Another and and a call back to guys and dolls. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, do you guys have any, any other feuds before we uh, before we move on to the sad segment here? I think. Well, Duff. So, the Wayback Machine, she's she's kind of tired. Mm. So we got well, we got one more though. We got one more left. So let's fire it up. All right, let's do it. Google Group Monday. It's Monday. Let's for the turn last our browsers. Time. I'm gonna sing for no reason. Google Group Monday. <laughs> so, you could do the you could do the voice in like uh, Boys and Men End of the Road. The guy who just like yeah. in a deep voice. Yeah. Yeah, girl, you know I know. Mm. 
you get to the <laughs> yeah. end of the road. The base, yeah. the base breakdown. Yes. Yeah, yeah Google, Google. So, I, girl, you go if you want to keep the party going. Anyone can go to groups.google.com. Uh, just search for alt.movies.titanic, and you too can comb through uh, insane comments from probably the beginning of the internet in the early 90s, but for Titanic, they start pretty much a few months before the movie. This is more of a public service announcement. Oh. So this is, so this is from uh, 420. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the weed number. Uh, Foodog13 <laughs> at AOL.com. Foodog, F-O-O-D-O-G, 13. Foodog starts a thread saying, Titanic bootleg not for sale. <laughs> not for sale. Due to the fact that I just found out bootleg sales are illegal, <laughs> I would like everyone to disregard my last post. The last post is temporary until I find out how to cancel the post. I apologize <laughs> to Paramount for that inconvenience. Repeat, Titanic is not for sale because it is illegal. <laughs> this reminds me... In like the, I'm like, trying to delete. <laughs> this reminds you of like in the era. I remember like in ninety, you know, in the nineties, like being like, I'm gonna download Photoshop or something, or you know, your first time you would download like music, and I would be so paranoid that as soon as the download would complete, this is when I was a teen, I would unplug my computer from the internet. Come on, I'm serious. I'd be like, well, okay, I'll Just do the that. SWAT they can't team would swarm. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, man, they're gonna. I think I know I downloaded Photoshop 5. <laughs> oh, no. How long did it take to download that on dial-up? Like a whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Rob. <laughs> well, all you had to do was pretend you were a student and you could get one of those codes. There were, you remember That's... the websites that used to have codes? Key, key gens, baby. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I used to go out and well, get those the all the time. I mean, not at all because I just found out they're illegal. Yes. You better unplug your computer. Unplug your computer. I I am doing it right now. (laughs) Guys, can you Uh, still hear me? (laughs) So that was just a good PSA. So, yeah. (laughs) So just to clarify, it's not for sale. Yep. Well, guys, do you have anything else on Famous Feuds? Uh, I have one other thing on on, uh, Famous Feuds. Um, I went and found uh, another band for you guys to get for your uh, rap party. No. Oh, no. I know. Street Life doesn't like openers. No, I know that. I know that. They're like Springsteen. Luckily, if you go to the website, thestreetlifeband.com, in Vegas, there is another band called Street Life. That way you can still get the same tie-in. Uh, let me tell you about them. Speaking uh, of Photoshop. Oh, yeah, let me, God. Wait, wait, wait till you see this, guys. The Street Life Band, Joe, oh, no. is a five-piece dance band playing music from the 70s to present. And their goal is to oh, get people God. on the dance floor and have people partying in their seats. Oh, man. This is amazing. Every person in that band has over 30 years' experience. It looks like it. Yes, they're all old. Uh, and the best part is the band news. The band news. Uh, on the I was right. about this to say that something <laughs> bad happened. Yeah, because of some unfortunate circumstances, the Street Life Band will not be playing for the unforeseen future. For the uh, unforeseen future, okay. Street Life would like to thank everybody for their support and uh, join their mailing list. But they don't do concerts anymore. 
But we can still call them because they have their personal oh numbers God, here to do. call. Yeah, you can call uh, Kathy and paying. Joe. Another Joe. <laughs> they're still their phone numbers. So here's what you got to do, guys. I need you to call both these numbers and get the last remaining, I assume, living members of Street Life, the band, <laughs> and get them to your concert and get them to what your live pull. show. So wow. that's my, that's the, hopefully this will mend the feud that Joe's having in his own soul with the mm-hmm. people of the Bucks, the Bucks organization <laughs> and the band Street Life. Amazing. We'll try to work it out. <laughs> okay. Could uh, you write them, could you write them a really long letter? You should write the same letter you wrote the Bucks, but just to this <laughs> other Street Life. And just take out, can you just find replace Bucks or Street Life and add their name in? Yes. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's Street Life Vegas. Band. Oh, man. Well. Jonathan, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, thanks, no problem, Jonathan. guys. And uh, ah, that's it, right? That's the last Google Group Monday. That's the last oh, one. It's gone. Wow. Wow. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with a new episode. Um.